Good morning, everyone. This is the um, training for transitional uh, pastors. Um, I am Bob Stoffer, and will help lead this along with Dr. Ken Pretty. Um, we will be here throughout the day, so it's great to have you all here. A um, couple of introductory kinds of things. Uh, aside from Ken and I doing this, we've had a team of people working on uh, this process for a while, um, working on the, the next generation of what we're doing. Um, uh, Bill Rash, Jim Farrell, Bruce Allison, myself, Ken, and Suzanne Zampella. And uh, Suzanne has uh, graciously done all the PowerPoint stuff, so uh, we are blessed by that and she's been a great help in that process. Um, before we uh, get started, let's pray together. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, for you are great and greatly to be praised. And Father, we thank you for your bride, the church. We thank you for your calling upon our lives as leaders of the bride of Christ. And Lord, sometimes we do that with fear and trembling and sometimes we do that far too casually, and pray that you would forgive us uh, for when we don't take that seriously enough in our own lives. And Lord, we thank you for this day, for this time together, as we look at a very important part of the kingdom, a very important part in church life. And uh, Lord, we ask that as we gather together this day, that it would not be our voices uh, that everyone here is hearing, but it would be the voice of your Holy Spirit um, speaking to each of us in, in exactly the ways that you need to speak to us, uh, no matter what's being said. And so, Father, we give you this day, this time together, this process, and we pray that it would all be for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, just, just so you know, my registration that I printed out said 9 o'clock, so you may get some people coming in late if they were going by that. Okay. Um, so we're we're talking about uh, we're looking at folks who are interested in um, the transitional pastor ministry, uh, the training for that, some of the depth that's involved in all of that. This afternoon, uh, Ken will be with us this morning, helping to lead. This afternoon, Ken is going to lead an introductory section, and we're going to keep plowing through the stuff that we're doing. Um, one thing to be aware of is we are. Um, We've been working on this process now for a little while. We have about 75 people who have gone through the transitional pastor training uh, around the country. And so one of the things we're trying to do is develop not only what this looks like and what it means for presbyteries, but the implications nationally. Um, and so Jim Farrell, who's one of the members of our team, has been helping us develop a profile of people. So the reason we're taking all your contact information is that we have a team of people now who can um, think about uh, doing transitional pastoring nationally. Uh, so some people only want to go certain distances from home, all kinds of different situations, but we have uh, probably four or five people who are pretty much willing to go anywhere in the country and do this, and so we'll talk about all that later and how that works. Um, but that's kind of where we are. The, the process has kind of been given over to the Go Center, and so we are working as a part, an arm of the Go Center in transitional ministry, and, um, and we're still in the very early stages of this. Um, in fact, the stuff that you have today um, was... Uh, some of it printed this morning, uh, so um, we're, uh, we're still in the catch-up phase of what we're doing. Uh, a couple of you have been to training, so we'll have some 
a lot of new stuff. Uh, it's organized much better because the team has been working on it. Suzanne's a great organizer of the material and been a great help in that. Um, but, uh, but the manual as it is in front of you and the PowerPoint is new to all of us. So if it looks a little choppy, there is a reason. It will be a little choppy. Because whenever I click the hickey and something changes on there, we'll all be surprised together. Um, so we're, uh, we're kind of making, uh, we, we have the content, it's just rearranged in our heads in a, in a whole different way. So uh, we're gonna just plow in and, and start. Uh, Anytime you have questions, stop and ask, um, because some of this will be a, a very new and different perspective for some of you. Otherwise, your, your slideshow is not going to, there we go. Super, thank you. Sure. <clears throat> so, um, when we think about transitional pastoring, this is, uh, some of this material came from Dr. Bob Hopper, many of you know from the Presbytery of the Alleghenies. Um, passed away of a heart attack while he was doing a transitional uh, pastoring thing. And he and I had been working together on a lot of this material. Um, yeah, some people say it killed him. Uh, but um, we'd been working together on some of this stuff. And so he had put a lot of things together from his vast experience in transitional pastoring. And we were getting the, to the place of doing this. Um, and so this team of people has picked up some of this. So the material comes from all kinds of places. We tried to credit sources and all of that where we could, but um, Bob provided a solid uh, building block for us to begin to move from as we thought about uh, transitional pastoring. And this is a picture he found, and he actually uh, told me on maybe 20 occasions that he actually paid money for this picture. Um, and uh, because he thought it was a great description of transitional pastoring. And he, he titled the picture, Leading from Behind, The Life of a Transitional Pastor. Um, and it's, a, it's just a great illustration of, of the process. How, how do you get the sheep across the bridge? Well, you can be out in front of them, but you can also be behind them, encouraging them, moving them along the way. So here's the, here's the question we start with today. When was the last time that you saw a church say, you know, maybe we're not really healthy. And maybe we need to stop what we're doing and take a careful look at ourselves. And maybe we need to do a real good assessment of who we are and where we're going and what's our strategy and vision for ministry and where are we going into the future? What's God have for us? Uh, I don't know about you, I've been around a long time and I don't know that I've ever seen a church do that, right? There's not very natural pauses in the life of a church to do that, short of a crisis. And the crisis precipitates a whole different set of circumstances than uh, just leading through a church health process. And so um, one of the perspectives that we have uh, about transitional pastoring is that this is a time where the church has a natural pause in it. Um, the all the re regular systems are upended, right? Everything has been suspended. Um, there's lots of reasons why churches don't think about health. Um, maybe they wouldn't even know what to think about if they tried to think about it. Uh, they don't know what a church health process uh, looks like. They don't see it as important. Uh, there are no natural times to do it. But the transitional period provides a great spiritual deep breath in the life of the church. A time that things are already paused and already suspended and their day-to-day -day activity, the way we've always done it before, at least stops for a day or two, right? 
um, in the process. And while this, this activity is suspended, we have an amazing opportunity to inject some things into the life of the church that are very helpful. Uh, we have traditionally called the period between pastors a what? An interim, right? That's been the language we've always used for a long time. And it's seen as this sort of uncomfortable time that we want to get through as fast as possible. Right? It's, it's a time period. Um, the objective is to get the new senior leader in as quickly as we can possibly get them in. And so one of the things we're suggesting this, this morning is that as long as you think of this time period as an interim, you miss its importance. You miss the power of what it has the potential uh, to be. And that's why we refer to this period as a transitional period. Uh, this implies a process, not just this time to this time, but it implies that there's a process of things to go through during this time that can be very important to the life of the church. A process of self-assessment, a process of visioning, a process of strategic alignment, thinking about a solid search process for the pastor. Um, again, one of the things that always kind of makes me chuckle as I go in, I, I was just in a church not too long ago. Uh, the senior leader had been gone about a week. And we have a process where I'm going to share in the Presbytery of the Alleghenies, which is the Presbytery many of us are from. Um, we have a, a process that when the pastor leaves, a representative of the ministerial committee, a representative of the church development committee goes in to advocate for a transitional process and what it is and why we do it. So after one week I got there, they had the search committee in place and had begun the process after one week, right? Why is that? I mean, their hair was on fire, you know, because they were afraid of the discomfort. They were afraid of the loss of control. They wanted to get on to the next thing. And so what we want to suggest here is this is a presbytery's great opportunity to provide a church with church health. It's a great opportunity for the presbytery to come in and step in and actually for the presbytery to come and say, hi, we're the presbytery and we really are here to help. Um, and it gives an opportunity to connect the church to the resources and the processes of Presbytery in a very healthy way. And so what we've come to understand as we've done this now many times and thought about this is that the goal of the church is to speed things up. The goal of the Presbytery should be to slow things down, right? What we call take a deep spiritual breath. Take a hard look at what they're doing. And, and isn't it ironic, they immediately form a search committee and form a search committee to get a pastor, and I ask them, well, what kind of pastor are you looking for? What should their gifts be? What should their temperament be? What's most going to help you achieve what God has called you to do? What's your vision? How does the pastor... And, and they're kind of like, yeah, well, we don't got any of that. But to most of them, it doesn't matter all that much, right? We're still, we're still ready to move them on. And then the other part of the process that this allows is for a good opportunity for a strong pastoral search process. Um, again, how is a church supposed to know who they're looking for if they don't know who they are or where they're going or how they're going to get there or who God's called them to to minister to in the community? All the things that, uh, that, that uh, are a part of that process. And so the transitional period and the transitional pastor can help lead them through a process that leads to a better search. We also actually have existing documents uh, that point to this process. I don't know if you're aware, we have a, uh, something called the Ministerial and Candidate Committee Procedures. I know all of you read this right around your devotional time at night, um, but there is 
uh, a manual like that, and there are two chapters in it. Chapter 5 talks about the process of the pastoral search and call. Chapter 11, guidelines for interim, it's called, pastoral ministry. Um, and obviously the Book of Order, the Book of Government, all our documents begin to spell out um, the necessity for this process. And so we're going to look at a little bit about, as you look through your manual, and again, we'll try to keep, uh, I'll try to keep the manual and the PowerPoint moving at the same time. Um, we're, there's an introduction, case for transitional pastor, our process, and then we're asking three large questions in transitional ministry. A why question, a who question, and a how question. Um, stage one, self-assessment. Stage two, establishing the vision. Stage three, the pastoral search. So that's the process from the million foot view. Um, some of us flew yesterday and our planes flew lower or not at all, so we're a little sensitive to elevation. So, uh, so this gives us um, the process. If you look at, uh, in your manual, I think it's page four, um, hopefully our pages all line up the same. Um, we have uh, created a document in the Presbytery of the Allegheny called the Case for a Transitional Pastor. Uh, this has several applications to it. One application is for churches in transition for churches in transition. And what we tried to do is create a one-page document that we could use to summarize what this process looked like. So when, in our presbytery, when the ministerial committee representative and the church development committee representative go, this is what we will now take as part of what we give to church. So they can have the big overview of what we're trying to do and why we're trying to use it. I think it's also a really useful document for presbytery committees. Um, so I don't know how each presbytery is structured, whether a ministerial committee runs with this process or a church development committee or both, um, as kind of in our case. Um, but it's a great document for anybody trying to um, help outline uh, the case for a transitional pastor and what's important and why. Um, so I'm going to run down through this because this is the big view and then we'll come back and visit uh, many, of, many of the parts of this. Uh, Again, the three areas, why, why engage a transitional pastor, who, who should they be, how do they interact with presbyteries, presbytery committees, sessions, congregations, and then how does the work of the transitional pastor move a church toward greater health in the transitional process. So, uh, you all can read, you see the why section there. Um, the reality is that um, most churches, uh, let's look at it from, from this perspective. As we look at this transitional period as a time of opportunity, uh, and when the natural life cycles of a church are suspended, uh, we also see this is a time when churches are looking to Presbytery for help. Again, after the freak out, slow down, spiritual deep breathing. Part of the reason this is important, um, you see the quote from some famous guy, um, we believe in these principles so strongly, we re actually require a transitional pastor unless you can get written permission from the national leadership team. We recognize there may be crazy exceptions. We've been in church, look around the room, we've all been in church long enough to know weird stuff happens, but as a rule. But, but why is this so important? Um, one of the reasons is that um, Tom Rayner estimates that about 86% of American churches are either in serious recline or full decline. 86% of American churches are in serious decline or full re decline. And so we have a need to reinforce the priority of evangelism in the local church. Uh, we say evangelism is important to us as a church, right? We talk about it being important, but 
my experience in most of our churches is it would be hard to make the argument that it is the first work of the church. In the EPC, uh, the latest statistics we had to work with, in 2016, uh, one of the things that was uh, very interesting is I looked through the um, uh, report of all the churches in the denomination, and one of the things that was of interest to me is that in the year 2016, churches in the EPC averaged about one adult profession of faith per year per church. One adult profession of faith per church, per year. And if you looked at the statistics, and you can look them up, probably uh, 60% had zero. And we're the evangelical Presbyterian church. So something is missing in the hardwiring of what we're doing. Okay? Most churches that I experience as I go around are almost completely disengaged from the task of evangelism. And so, we need to look for opportunities uh, to do that. Uh, somewhere between 150 and 200 churches close every week in the United States. 150 to 200 close every week. That's from Tom Rainer. And here's an interesting statistic when you think about transitional stuff. In the next seven years, over 50% of American pastors will retire. In the next seven years, over 50% of American pastors will retire. And so what we're suggesting here, in part, is all is not well in the church. And all is not well in the EPC church. And we need to think about the implications of that, particularly in a transitional period. So if, we're, if we are about the task of evangelism and we are about the task of church health, then we need to look for those opportunities when we can pour into the life of these churches these kinds of things. So... Um, again, you see that in the case, so that's why we're talking about uh, this. There's big shifts coming in the American church. Uh, transition is a natural pause and routine. Take a long, hard look at its health. Pastoral transition can be a God-given time to revitalize. Even though their instincts are to speed up and get things done quickly, our encouragement is slow down and do things well. Look at this as an opportunity. Look at it as a God-given opportunity. And we need not only churches to look at it like that, we need presbyteries and general assemblies to look at it like that so that we can take this time uh, serious. And then the who taking advantage of the opportunity requires special skills, a special calling. That's the things we'll be talking about today and, and what becomes important. A transitional pastor, uh, you'll see on page five, will lead the congregation uh, through five areas of examination and improvement. Uh, and you see those. This comes from Lauren Mead, um, and we're going to be outlining this in greater detail in just a few minutes. Um, so you see those five things. And then 10 advantages of a skilled and trained transitional pastor. Um, and again, we're going to take this apart in just a moment. So this is just the big overview, the big look at what we're doing. Okay? And then the how, the work of the transitional ministry. And you see it in our stages. The first stage, self-assessment. Self-assessment of a church's leadership health. Self-assessment of congregational health. And so through the Go Center and through some other tools that we have, we have lots of tools for a transitional pastor to help a church think through church health. Now, you'll notice the important word there is self-assessment. Um, Ken and I have been around long enough. We've been asked to go to churches to do consulting, right? And the church asks you to come in, and you go in, and you spend some time looking around, 
figuring things out and you prepare this lovely report for them at the end and their response is that is God inspired that is a, that is written directly what's their response no way no way that's not us what do you know I've been here for 80 years you've been here for 15 minutes how would you know what well first of all you invited me so there's that um, second of all what's the what's the premise behind they're not ready to hear about the things they most need to hear. Um, and so somebody's got to be delivering that information. But the power of self-assessment is much more important than the process of assessment. And even though we give them great tools for self-assessment, when we come out at the end of that stage, what do they say? Okay. That's not us. You know, and all the, all the reasons why things aren't as they appear. To which we're able to say, uh, you filled out the stuff, right? This wasn't me. We've just given you tools to assess. You've told yourself what's wrong, and now you refuse to listen to yourself. There's some psychological malady that's involved there, right? But, um, and so the power of self-assessment becomes really important. Secondly, a vision for the future and a strategy for the vision. Um, so that's what we see under, under stage two, and then we're going to take these apart in just a minute. And then uh, phase three... Uh, <coughs> Vitalizing, aligning perception, vision, strategy, structure, people, and then the pastoral search process and guiding the pastoral search team through that. So that's why we want people to see that this is such an incredible uh, opportunity. Um, it's not just a time to get through. It's not just a time to let's do what we have to do till the real person gets here. Uh, this is an, a church health opportunity that is very rare in the life of the church. Um, it's not self-inflicted. Well, sometimes it's self-inflicted, but, um, it, but it's a time that gives the church and the presbytery and everybody a chance to pull back and look at what's really important. So in part two on page six, you'll see steps for pastoral transition. Um, <clears throat> again, you see the phases that we've talked about um, here. Uh, and it interweaves, the transitional ministry training interweaves both the Go Center revitalization, five development tasks of the pastoral transitional process, addresses the why, the who, and the how. So if you look on uh, page six, these are the steps that we use in the Alleghenies. Um, so this is essentially the transitional uh, process. So we've kind of tried to outline it step by step by step so everybody can see it. So uh, I'm going to do this quickly. Again, we're going to come back to much of this, um, but trying to give you a feel for the you know, big picture and then work our way backwards. Okay. So uh, point number one, the Presbyterian Ministerial Committee Chair is informed that a lead pastor has requested a dissolution of the call or has not requested one but got one anyway. Um, Presbyterian Church Development Committee and Ministerial Committee assign a representative and they go to explain. They take this case for a transitional pastor and take these steps for uh, the process and they go meet with a session whose hair is already immediately on fire, right? I mean, the, the, the stuff they say is actually pretty hilarious if you weren't there listening to them say it. Um, and uh, so they're completely freaked out. What do we do now? This is a time, uh, interestingly enough, when they really feel completely dependent on the presbytery. So here's my advice. Take full advantage of that, right? It is an opportunity to do that. So 
Uh, they, we explain the process, we explain the steps, we explain you're going to have a transitional pastor and unless you can think of a very good reason to convince the leadership team that you shouldn't, um, which we have not come across yet, by the way. Um, and, and so, take a breath. You know, you're, you're in this whether you want to be in this or not. And so we begin to talk about it. And you can, you can actually almost feel the room kind of like, oh, okay, okay, all right. Well, I hadn't thought about this, and I still think this is a horrible idea, and we still should keep the search committee, but all right, well, let's listen to the rest of what he has to say. So, um, then um, the presbytery, uh, hopefully when we really get running well, the presbytery can provide some initial assessment uh, to the church to determine the health of the church, uh, who might be the best fit for a transitional pastor. Um, so the presbytery can actually do upfront work in helping uh, prepare the groundwork for the transitional period and the transitional pastor. And we'll talk about all the resources we have to help you as transitional pastors do that. And then the presbytery provides a list of transitional pastor candidates for the church to consider and interview. And so in, in the, the way we're doing it, um, and if this is not in accord with the Book of Order, it's the way Ken is doing it. Um, the, the way we're doing it, <laughs> the, the session uh, basically is responsible for the hiring of the candidate. Okay? This is not a congregational issue. It's a sessional issue. Okay? And so what we want to do is provide a, um, provide a a uh, list of folks, and this is where some of them are in our presbytery. Uh, in the Alleghenies, we're blessed. We have about uh, 14 people that come in and out. We meet monthly uh, for training, for praying for one another, for asking questions, all that kind of stuff. So we have 14 people who are doing transitional pastors. Now, um, that may seem like a lot because probably if, if you ask most presbyteries, do you have a problem in your transitional pastor period? The answer is no. Why? They don't know. They're not asking the right question. The, the answer is if, if you mean by are we okay in the transitional process, we've got somebody to fill the pulpit each week and somebody's moderating the session, we're good. We're good to go. In fact, that question, that very question was asked by the denomination of survey and some overwhelming number of people responded, we're good, we got this. Right? So if you think of it as that kind of a thing, then you're good. If you think of it as this is an opportunity, this is a church health issue, this is a chance for a trained person to come in and help walk you through steps and stages and processes, um, that's a whole different question. So probably in, in your presbytery, I'm guessing that roughly, there's probably roughly somewhere around 10% of your churches going through transition at any given time. Maybe a little less, maybe a little more at any given time. Okay, so in the Presbyterian of the Alleghenies, that means we have 8 to 10 churches in transition at any given time. Well, multiply the impact of a healthy transitional period over those numbers of transitions over a number of years, and you're really starting to build some church health principles into a presbytery. The presbytery gets healthier. Um, and so we begin to have some momentum toward health simply by using the transitional period as a time of health and thinking about the implications of who we are in that time of health. Um, so I think uh, right now in Alleghenies, I think we have 12 churches in transition. Um, and so 
Finding the right people is always a challenge, which is part of why you're here. Many of those people are already in our presbytery and trained. Many come from outside the presbytery, and we'll talk about contracts and how that works. Um, but now we're in a period where people can come from outside presbyteries uh, because the, the, uh, if you remember, the denomination has now made this a, a call. Um, so you can move presbytery to presbytery you know, fairly easily. So there are, there are a number of people who are looking at this as an opportunity to move around the country, do different things. Uh, we even have some young guys uh, who are committed to this for long periods of time. Uh, and we have some people whose families kind of stay in one place and they move in and out of that. So the point being there's all kinds of transitional periods, but what we want to pay attention to is the process and, and the health. And so Presbyteries provide for these churches uh, a list of people. And then number five, on the session selection, a detailed contract is agreed on, and we're going to talk a lot about contracts. Um, what do contracts do in a transitional period? They manage expectations, right? So a very clear and detailed contract is signed by both the pastor who's coming uh, here's what we're going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what the church is going to do. And so we try to make work very hard to manage expectations up front. And then on arrival, the transitional pastor leads the congregation through phase one. That's the self-assessment. And here's some of the tools, a SWOT analysis. Some of you are familiar with SWOT. We'll talk about that in uh, greater detail later. Um, and it's a significant part of this process, but we have life cycles, we have all kinds of resources through the Go Center to help churches do good self-assessments. Um, and then um, what we advocate very strongly, if possible, is uh, for the uh, church to conduct the GO1 seminar, uh, the church health seminar, at the beginning of the transitional period. Um, I was just with Bob in Philadelphia, messed up his church and left, which is the beauty of what I do. Um, but Bob had just gotten there. We did a GO1 seminar, try to get some momentum. Bob, you want to comment on that? Well, since it's a fresh oh, thing. It was for good momentum. It was the right time. Um, we, we were there probably, what, six weeks after I arrived. Mm -hmm. So the timing was really good. Um, it sparked a lot of good conversation going forward. So it's just a good, it was a good connectional piece. Good. And I'll treat you to lunch. It's, it's actually in your little packet there. Um, and then, uh, number three, uh, a summary is written, kind of the where are we phase. Um, because you have to know who you are before you can move forward into where God has called you to go. Um, it's a big, significant part of the puzzle there. And so, uh, that report is done, given to session, uh, shown to the congregation. They say, this is not us, and we say, we don't care, we're just going to pretend like it is and move forward. Um, but they, by and large, buy into it. Um, and so it's a very healthy part of the process. Uh, quick question on that. Yes. The, um, the, the summary, uh, that's a new one I've heard uh, for the first time. Is that done by, by the GO Center? Is, no, no. Is that a so, so typically, self-assessment? Yeah, so typically what happens once a SWAT life cycles, whatever you use in that process, uh, typically what will happen at the end of it, um, the uh, transitional pastor and maybe a couple of people who they pick to do that, uh, take all that information and try to summarize it into, we, we always say try to summarize it, summarize it in one page. Um, what's the big picture stuff of the where we are? Um, and it's really, it's a fascinating process to watch. Um, because most people think they know their church well, um, but they don't. Or they know it well from their perspective, um, not other people's perspective. Um, so it's a fascinating thing to watch that all unravel.
Okay? Question. Yes. Does that go to the session and the session sends out the congregation so it's not just housed in just the... Yes. Computer? Yes. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I guess the session can do anything they want with it, right. but typically this one-page report is talked about by the session. What are the implications of this? Um, you know, what does this mean for us moving forward? What does this look like? Um, and then, yeah, most often they'll publish it to the congregation so everybody can see and be involved in the process. Now, in the SWAT process, there's a whole bunch of people in the church already involved. Um, so depending on the size of the church, you may do 40 SWAT interviews. Um, and that has all kinds of dynamics to it. You're, you're getting to know people better. You're communicating mission, vision. Uh, you're beginning to pray for people. You get to follow up with them. So there's lots of pastoral kinds of things that happen through the SWAT process. Um, but the big picture action item is the helpful part, I think, for the, for the entire process. Okay? And then two, phase two, establishing... I don't know where in the world we are in this thing. Oh, let's go back there. Phase two, establishing the vision. Uh, so the assessment phase is complete, and that's the premise of, given who we are, how do we move forward? Phase two begins with the formation of a vision team. Uh, a lot of that comes out of the GO1 seminar. Are all, all you familiar with the GO1 seminar stuff, pretty much? Okay, good. Um, so the vision team then is formed, tasked with answering a couple questions like, who is the congregation trying to reach? What are the needs of our surrounding community? How can we best connect with and serve the community outside of our congregation's wall? In other words, it's forcing the church in a time of natural inward focus to focus outward. Um, uh, Bob Hopper used to call this writing with your left hand for congregations um, because they're, they're freaked out about their internal issues um, and so it's forcing them to think about a whole new focus. And then on the basis of the answer to the, the questions of those, the vision team develops a strategy and presents to the session uh, for review. Um, we're on page seven, um, phase two. Uh, presents to the session review, pen, amendment, you know, the session is the ruling body of the church, uh, approval, tweaking, whatever needs to be done in that part of the, uh, of the process. And, uh, and then the uh, action strategies include the five areas of transitional ministry, which we'll look at in more detail in a minute. And then number three, following the session's approval, it's given back to what we often, either the vision team or what we might call an implementation team. Uh, the implementation team are the people responsible for taking the vision. So the vision team is thinking about vision, mission, strategy, who are we called to reach, our outward focus, uh, interviewing people in the community. Um, we'll talk about that process a little bit more in the end. Um, and, and gathering uh, and answering those questions in the, in the first part of that. It's given to the session, tweaked, reviewed, handed back to an implementation team. What's the difference between a vision and an implementation team? The vision people are your dreamers, your thinkers, your prayers uh, that are out there kind of focusing on the community. Implementation people are the Gitterduns, right? Uh, they're the people. So that team can be reformed or you know, thought of in a, in a way of implementing strategy. Um, maybe a different group of people, maybe many of the same people. And so they're charged with the task of answering questions like, well, given who we're trying to reach, how will we reach them? What do we need to make the church and life ministry vision? How will we build relationships with those we're trying to reach? So this is the strategic element, right? This is the vision for the future and a strategy for the vision part of what they do. And then number four, um, the implementation team 
uh, formalizes a strategic plan, a detailed plan uh, that include goals and objectives and timetables and purpose. And like, here's the thought, the church actually does something on purpose. Um, and so outlines the process for how that's going to happen and begins to implement it. Things like financing, those kinds of needs along the way. And then the transitional pastoral work of the vision team uh, to begin the five phases of vitalization. How do we align perception? How do we align vision, align strategy, align structure, and align people? And we're going to talk more about that in detail. And then phase three on page eight, I hope, is the vitalization and pastoral search. So the real question here is, well, when does phase three begin uh, in, in this process? And the answer is, nobody really knows for sure. Um, but the question should be, there should be a clear vision in place, the, at least the beginning of a strategic plan for moving forward in place. So now you've begun to answer the question, who are we? Where are we going? Who are we trying to reach? And how are we going to reach them? It's at that point you start thinking about a pastoral search process. Because those are questions that any good pastor coming in should want to know, right? Um, so I say, to, I say this to, to churches as I work this process with them. So here's your choice. You can begin your search team right away and look for who you don't know what you're doing or why you're going or where they're doing and, and invite them into the process. And when they say, well, what are you doing? Well... Hmm. Mm. Got nothing really. We just want you in here so we don't have to think about transition anymore. Um, or you can say, we've been working for the past year on vision, mission, who we are, who we're called to reach, where God has called us to go, beginning strategic planning for that happening. And we're looking for the person who can best help us implement that strategy. I said, I think that sounds like a better answer than the other answer, right? Um, and so, that it makes the, the pastoral transition process shorter and clearer. Um, because what the search team is in effect doing is developing a profile of a person. Given who we are, given where we're going, given what God has called us to do, given what we've begun to implement, who is the person that's going to best help us get to where God has called us to go? That's a way different question than most search teams are even processing or thinking about. But that's the important part of the... Um, of what we're doing. So um, again, you see the interweaving of these. And so Alban Institute has, this is page nine now, Alban Institute um, has uh, five developmental tasks. What we've done is we've taken those five tasks and put them in an EPC context. Um, so we've kind of translated into EPC. Um, you didn't even know there was an EPC language, but <coughs> apparently there is. Um, and so um, I want you to just take a minute and read down through that. Um, then we're going to highlight a couple of those. But um, I, I, this is something you really need to absorb um, in thinking about the transitional process. So take a minute and just read through that. beginning to feel the power of the process and, and how important this is. So let's just take a kind of a quick look through this. Um, one of the things that churches fail to recognize is that change always brings about emotion. Now, what are, what are some of the emotions people could be experiencing? 
Grief and loss. Loss, anger. grief, anger, frustration. I know they're in there, right? Fear. Fear, right. Change will always precipitate those kind of things, particularly in the life of a church that is not wanting to feel those things very long, if at all. Like, if we can avoid feeling anything and just getting to the next pastor, we are good with that, you know? Um, and so, but those things are there. Um, whether it's a dearly loved pastor who leaves or somebody who left under difficult circumstances, there's lots of conflict. There's lots of long-standing emotions. There's lots of family feuds. There's lots of, we've all been around long enough to know what, what those things look like, right? And so there's need for real healing. Um, and the transitional pastor is the healing agent, uh, the person who can bring healing to those kinds of things and be able to see things in a way that many of those people cannot see because they've been in the forest far too long, right? Probably since the time of Moses. So, addressing history, conflict, grief, change, management. Secondly, discovering a new identity. And, and helping churches understand you don't have to be defined by your past, that you can have a new future. God may actually want to do something exciting through you. Um, and I'll, I'll ask churches all the time, do you believe God wants to do something exciting? And very often the response is, yeah, but I don't think he can do it here. Mm. For real, that's what they say. Um, because of all that ugh, that's been laying there for so long, and much of it nobody wants to address. Nobody wants to get at the conflict. Nobody wants to get to the sin in the camp. Nobody wants to get to the negative emotions this is going to bring. So it's like, if we pull that scab, this is going to, re we, we might bleed to death here, because there's only seven of us here anyway. So, um, And so, helping a church understand itself in preparation for a new leader. And, and the better the church's sense of self-awareness, the better the process is in moving through a church health transition. That self-awareness is a really important thing. And so that's why we have things you see on uh, page, whatever I'm on, nine. Uh, church's life cycle, SWOT analysis, greatest analysis, natural church development. There's lots of tools that you can use to get at this that we want transitional pastors to use. Okay? I actually will let you ask questions here in a little bit. Facilitating shifts of power. Um, in any transfer of leadership, there is a transfer of power. And power is always the question in the church. Who has the power? Now, maybe it was the pastor who just left, and now there's a power vacuum, and nobody knows who's going to step in. Maybe it wasn't that person, but when the pastor leaves, the people who have the most power amp up their power, right? They want to step up the quotient of power that they absorb, which is, in every circumstance I'm familiar with, exactly the wrong thing to have happen, right? And so... Uh, the people who have power get more power, and the people who didn't have power in the first place have even less power, and the conflicts and the, and the managing of those conflicting things are really important. There's always leadership shifts, um, and it causes um, shifts of power. And so the transitional pastor helps them think about the who, the how, the when, uh, the where of church leadership, kind of get them beyond those power shifts and get them into a new way of thinking. Okay. And then, fourthly, Alban's rethinking denominational ties. And uh, I, I don't know about your presbytery. Our presbytery um, started with, how many do we have, Bob? Seven, eight churches? No, it was like 12. 12? Okay. First broke off 12. 12, okay. So, anyway, we had like 12 churches, and now we're at almost 80. 
Um, almost all of those churches came out of the PCUSA, and probably most of our presbyteries are, are similar to that, other than the ones we're planting, hopefully. Um, and so they have a typically very jaded experience of denominational ties um, and are extremely suspicious of presbytery for a long, long time, especially when you show up at their door, the pastor has led, and you say you're there to help, right? They, they've not really experienced the help thing from presbyteries before. And so all of that garbage resurfaces and has to be thought through and think of the implication. And I, I often find that the degree of change needed is affected by how long the church has been out of the PCUSA. Um, because that carries baggage with it that a transitional pastor help, has to help unpack. Um, because it's real and it's there in people's faces. Um, and so helping them connect more with the presbytery and with the denominations. Again, they're freaked out, their hair's on fire, and for you to come in and slow things down is like, so what are you guys doing? Like, how are you coming in to take over here? Um, um, and it's a very interesting uh, balance of things. So. Uh, a transitional pastor can help a church understand its EPC heritage, its EPC connectionalism, its connection to a presbytery, its connection to General Assembly. And when we begin to tell them there's resources that can help you, and um, I unpack for churches a lot of times the, um, the Christian Education Committee and the resources they put out, and they look at it and go, whoa, this is like good. Um, like, you know, that's a shocking statement. So transitional pastor can also help them think and rethink their denominational ties. And then lastly, building commitment to new leadership and a new future. Now, what most of these churches do not want to hear is new anything, right? In fact, their tendency is to revert to the past or to what they know or point to, if only we could get back to when good old Pastor Bob was here. Um, if only we could get back to this certain time they have fixed in their heads and their memories. Uh, one of my favorite lines of Ken's, I'll steal it, is he said, their memory gets so good they remember stuff that never even happened. <laughs> right? But, but they're, so in a transition, in crisis, in grief, they refer to the past, not the future. And that takes a lot of private conversations, changing, power shifts. So you can see all the things that are going on at once, right? This is a big time. This is an important time and, and takes time to work through all these things. Um, um, and, and so this all leads us um, to the Great Commission. You've probably heard Ken and I talk about this before. Um, it's in the Bible. Um, and this is Jesus' purpose statement for the church. Right? I mean, it is. And, and so, again, we've all been part of churches that fussed and fighted with purpose statements for a year that they work a year on forming, and 10 minutes later, no one can tell you what it is or what its implications. So my advice is, let's just roll with Jesus. Uh, uh, you know, let's go with his purpose statement. And if you come up with a better one along the way, let Presbytery know, because, you know, we're going to have to do some rewriting of documents that are important to us. Um, but um, this is the main thing. And you all, you all know the leadership challenge, right? The great challenge of a leader is the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Most churches have no idea what the main thing is. They're busy. They're active. They're doing a lot of stuff. But they completely miss the main thing. And so our call as transitional pastors is to pull people back 
to the Great Commission. This is why God created you. This is what God has for you as a church. The main thing is, the big question is, what does the Great Commission look like as you reach out into your community? Not, are you going to reach out into your community? Because it's pretty clear um, there's this big word here, two letters, but has some implications to it. Um, and so your call is to your community, and, and the question in the Go Center material is, how does God want to express himself um, in this community in this time through your church? That's the main thing. That's what we've got to rally around. And so the transitional pastor always has to pull them back to the Great Commission. Always has to keep pulling them back to biblical kind of things, because they will go anywhere but the Bible for how to move forward, right? And so continually pulling back into the Great Commission and say, really, all our job is, is to take what Jesus gave us and figure out what this looks like for our church and our community. Questions. Done. Right? There's a process we can use to do that, but that's the main thing. That's the point. It is so hard to get even churches we think are relatively healthy to stay focused on that. Okay? But that's why... We hope having the GO1 seminar coming in, um, or uh, one of your presbytery coordinators helping you with this. Uh, this is the big thing. This is the main thing. Okay, uh, quick, quick pause there. Any quick questions? Because I'll keep going. Yes. Um, our uh, executive director went to um, fact meeting with her in Denver, and uh, she came back with uh, a group called Oxano. And Oxano, so we ended up hiring Oxano. We did this process you're talking about through Oxano. I know Vanderbloom also uh, is advocated through some people in the denomination. How is this process, how are you interfacing with groups like Oxano and Vanderbloom <coughs> with a local church? You, you want to answer that? Sure. It's really a kind of a simple answer. The answers were not. Right. Uh, you know, there are multiple ministries that are more or less in the same genre. And uh, honestly, we're so in, uh, consumed with the commitments that we have that it, uh, we just can't keep track of what everybody else is doing and how and why. I will say that the norm is that uh, organizations such as these don't tend to overlap. You know, they're, they're, they do their thing their way. Uh, where the commonality comes is, is if, if, the, if the leaders of those organizations are truly evangelical, we all gravitate to the Great Commission. So it seems like we're telling the same story more or less. Uh, because we are searching for the same outcomes. But Oxano does its thing, you know, we do ours. And uh, the way I look at it personally is that the, the need for renewal in the American church is so great. There could be 500 organizations like this, mm -hmm. and no one would be stepping on each other's but toes. It seemed to me, listening to our executive director, and I talked to Jeff Jeremiah, it seemed like people were advocating these groups. Um, and so that's why I'm asking if there must not be an interface. I like what you're saying. I think it's all good that you could what you come up with. It's very similar to what 
we've heard from the consultants. But I'm I'm in transition myself. I'm yeah. Retiring next year, and part of it, I just want to encourage you. Part of it, I've been a little discouraged because of the disconnect with EPC things, not understanding the mm -hmm. EPC right. uh, culture. Uh, well, and I think the perspective is from I'm, I'm talking kind of from a national leadership team perspective. I think the perspective is, you know, the GO Center is something that has grown up inside of the EPC. And uh, those of us who are key players are EPC people. So even though we work outside of the EPC, uh, I always refer to the EPC as, as our home team. Um, at the same time, though, the national leadership team uh, you know, as part of the culture of the EPC is to be somewhat self-determining at the local church level. Right. It's a lot of autonomy. And so uh, the GO Center is not being positioned as like the one and only place to go for revitalization. There are yeah. these other groups out there. Some of them are doing a wonderful job. So okay. uh, my follow-up comment would be... Um, because the Go Center has been active in the EPC now for a number of years, there's a language that's begun to develop denominations. So what we've done is try to tie what we're doing to Go Center language. Um, and that's you'll see the process and how it fits. So language that people may have heard, may not pay attention to, but they've heard, they've understood, this is a direct connection to that language and that process. So that's the tie that we think is important and why, why we're trying to do what we're doing. Yeah. In the Pacific of the Northwest, one of the things that we're facing is that I, I'm retiring in December and I'm going to be the transitional pastor because we don't have enough people to do it. Mm -hmm. um, so well, Jamie said he'll go wherever you want. so He's already there. Or something like that. I, <laughs> he, he is our one yeah. transitional pastor. He is it. Yeah, yeah okay. But that's part of what we're trying to do, develop an, a national group of people with similar language. They can go Presbytery to Presbytery, understand the language, the culture. All that's, so I would say that's the difference for me. Other, other people are using, again, it's not like, uh, um, you know, it's, it might not be wildly different in terms of, but it's not us, our language. Presbytery to Presbytery, trying to develop a national profile so Jamie can go to Massachusetts and we and and feel comfortable because it's all the language that we've used. Yes, Dan. I wanted to kind of testify to that. Ooh. I don't know Vanderblom in a whole lot, lot except for searching for jobs for Van, through Vanderblom and the Ox, Ox and you said it, Oxano. Oxano. I'm not familiar with that too, but uh, when I took a transitional position within the Alleghenies a year ago. I tried to bring in my own kind of model based on where I've been during the gap of transition, and it just didn't work. Um, it uh, it did not speak the language as as you were talking about, and it just it just confused people more, and uh, and I think created more dissension uh, within the church. So, um, if I can testify to not not uh, going off the reservation too much, um, I think it can get you in trouble. Good. And I think John. it underscores your point earlier that it reestablishes a good tie with the denomination. Sometimes that's for the first time. With yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's part of the point. Yeah, getting those denominational links. Yeah. The MVC has a list. What is that, Scott? The Minister of Vocation. Vocation Committee. I know. 
Um, they they have a list of who were in association with slash approval of like Oxano uh, that would work well within a, an EPC church. Yes. Uh, I'm serving in a small church in uh, rural Virginia. I'm from the Presbytery of these. My name's Karen Cartier. Hi, Karen. Hi. Um, I'm so glad to be here and so happy to be part of this. I've been working with Bill Enns. As oh, a I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as a TP coach, mm -hmm. and I attended a training in Atlanta that was really um, put mm -hmm. together by the ECO. Um, but I'm just gathering all the information I can. And as I, I look at the things that you're covering this morning, um, I see that um, I'm just kind of naturally doing a lot of that, but I'm uber encouraged mm. by uh, what I'm hearing here this morning and how the two will join together for the benefit of the congregation. I'm awesome. thrilled mm. to be here, so thank awesome. you. Awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, Dave, I'm local Presbyterian of the West. Um, looking at how poorly we've actually done this transition in my <laughs> church. Um, it's a multi-staff church, and um, and, and so in, in our case, we were assigned um, a staff member who happened to be me as the acting senior pastor. And as I look back, it's been a full year. In fact, we're making an announcement Sunday on the search committee, but we jumped into a search committee which sequestered itself for the last 10 months. <laughs> secretly, and uh, it's caused a lot of um, um, suspicion, I think. Never seen that before. Yeah. Um, but the, so the acting senior pastor role, which I've inherited, is kind of a no man's land is what it feels like to me, because I think in retrospect, it could have gone better if I was more of a transitional pastor, which meant I couldn't have been a candidate. But yeah. because I'm a candidate, um, then it really has not. I, I felt like this is a, a year that's just been in limbo rather than yeah. a, a time of help. Yep. So, so one of the questions is, if it's a church with multi-staff and, and there's someone there that could act in that role, I mean, how do you transit, how do you navigate that? Well, we just give it to Bill Senior because he knows everything. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Did you just get up? No. You had to come all this way? I've changed the world before Brian. Oh, okay, good. That's all we need to know. Uh, uh, there, I think we'll answer that in several ways as we go, but I'll get to that, Bob. Having walked into the role of transitional pastor of a church with that kind of situation, had the church hired a transitional pastor instead of letting the church assume one of the pastoral staff in that role, it would have created a whole host of healing issues that I now have to deal with because of, because of the opposite. This is a church that tortured itself for 18 months yeah, just for fun. Um, and, and I think that's probably a good word for us mm -hmm. as well. So... Yes, and you need to talk, yes. And, and it also, we want to address also the power of coaching in this process and how important that can be. So let me, let me fly, and we're going to take a minute to uh, do so. I want to look at the uh, page 11, I think, maybe. <laughs> okay, good. <clears throat> um, ten advantages of engaging a skilled transitional pastor, uh, some of what we're speaking about here. Um, first is... Uh, Clarity. Uh, transitional pastor can bring real clarity to a, to a process. They have fresh eyes that allow your church to see itself clearly. Um, the advantage of fresh eyes is somebody walks in and sees things that may have been going on for years and years and years and years, and they ask, why are you doing that? 
And the answer is? We've always done it that way before. Or? I got nothing. I don't know. It's just Moses started it. We've been running with it. Um, you know, it just on and on it goes. Well, yeah, but why are you doing it? Should you stop doing it? Well, of course not. Um, but you understand what fresh eyes does. The, the truth is, the longer you've been somewhere, the less you see. And so they think they know the church, they think they know the community, they think they know all kinds of things, but actually they probably really know very little about the power of the overall uh, church health. Uh, I have a couple examples of this. One is, I uh, was meeting with a session one time, and we were in, it was a boardroom kind of thing, and they had all the dead pastors lined up on the wall, you know, the, you know, the thing. So I'm sitting on one side of the table, and I'm looking, and most of them are sitting kind of around the other side of the table, their backs to the pictures, and I'm staring at these pictures. Every one of them is, like, really crooked, right? And I'm like, I'm like a, I draw the line and color it in, you know, kind of guy, and, I, and all my children are artists, so I got nothing. Um, and, and so I said, I stopped at one point, and I said, so what's wrong with this room? And they all turn, they're looking around, they, you know, look, turn around at things, and they said, I don't know, what's wrong with the room? I said, all these pictures are crooked. And they all looked at it and went, they are crooked. They'd looked at those crooked pictures for 50 years and had no idea that they were crooked. The power of fresh eyes, right? Uh, I'm involved in a uh, church. Uh, Covenant Church north of Pittsburgh and Sharon, and um, we're, we're working the church health process there. Uh, my brother's the pastor. I'm there to be adult supervision. And, well, it goes one way or the other. I'm not sure which way. But yeah, anyway, it's one way or the other. But uh, so I inherited somehow along the process, we f out of our implementation team, we formed four teams, one of which was a visitor experience team. And so it's me and four women the youngest of which is probably 72, um, and a teenage guy from the youth group and a 20-year-old. Um, that's our team. So just sitting in the room is hilarious. But So I said, okay, we need to go look at our church as visitors would look at our church. Oh, well, that's easy. We've been here a long time. We can look at it as visitors. So we go outside, and I said, what do you see? Or what don't you see? And they stood there, I just let them stand there, like one of those painfully long silences, right? They're standing there, nothing. There's, there's no name of the church anywhere on the outside of the building. And it's on the main street in our town. And they're like, dang, how's that possible? Like, how do people know this is what, um, Question. yeah, and then like, we have our parking lot is roughly the size of this room, um, and then there's a club next to us that we borrow their. There's I said so if you were a visitor, how would you know where to park? So we walked all through the church probably for about four hours, and they had a list of 28 things that they called our most embarrassing moments. Because they, after a while they're going, this is humiliating. This I said, don't be embarrassed. I'm just saying. You've got to look at things differently than you've looked at it in the past. That's what fresh eyes does. It can, it can help them see things that they are not capable of seeing themselves. Secondly, it clarifies roles, holds staff, lay leadership uh, accountable. Um, the advantage that, that this gives you 
is the ability to, to take what um, may have been left alone or vacated for a long period of time um, and cleanse the, what, I, what we call cleanse the system of toxicity. That's, that's Bob Hopper's language. You have the ability to cleanse the system of toxicity, to see things that can't, and to name them and to say them out loud and to have people look at them and begin to discover ways uh, to move forward, clarifying roles, especially in staff roles. The vast majority of time I go into a church, nobody has ministry descriptions. Nobody, everybody's just doing their thing because this is what they've always done for God knows how long. Um, and so they just continue to roll along doing what they do. And there's no clarification of roles, particularly the role of an elder. I'm, I, am, I am firmly convinced that 95% of sessions have no idea what they should be doing because they function as managers. And so they come from often worlds of management, and so they think and act like managers of a corporation. Well, they're not managers of a corporation, nor should they ever be seen that way. So clarifying the role of an elder is the greatest gift the transitional pastor could give to a church, because those elders will remain, right? If they can get it, and a generation or two after them can get it, you've given a great gift to the church. So clarifying the roles of, of lay leadership, um, anybody in the life and ministry of the church. Um, so the gift, of, the gift the transitional pastor can give is the gift of clarity. Second, of stability. Consistency in the pulpit contributes to congregational stability. And I can't tell you um, how important this is. Um, because you're able to speak week in and week out church health principles. They're going to hear it over and over again. Ken, uh, through the Ghost Center, has a tool called 50 Days of Vitality. Uh, things that you can take a church through um, that bring that kind of health. And so rather, thank God we got somebody who can at least get up there and do something this week, um, to have somebody who's actually preaching intentionally about the Great Commission, about church health, about things that are important to their future. So again, imagine the impact of over two years just hearing that those principles, week in and week out, biblical principles um, that are there. Uh, fourth, re-equipping the session as shepherds. And I um, referred to that a little bit before. Um, if not the primary mission, certainly one of the primary missions is being an equipper, encourager, and mentor to the session. Equipper, equipping, encouraging, equipping, and mentoring to the session because that's ultimately what will bring the lasting change. You know, if, if it's, I'll weather this knucklehead until we can finally get rid of him uh, or her, uh, then it, it passes. But if it sinks deeply into the culture of the session, real change begins to happen. And that's, we all know how hard that is. So. Hey, can I go back to three for just a second? Nope, I'm already past that. Please. Yes, go. Um, I see this a lot. And there's a false sense of security when, when, you, when, when churches that are in between, that are transitioning, and they pick up, uh, they, they get people to come by invitation to give their best sermons ever on Sunday <laughs> 1, and then somebody else to give their best sermon ever on Sunday 2. And the people love it. And it seems like we are healthy, we're doing great, and it's just not true because it's lacking that consistency. And there's a, there's a sense of noise yep. that happens even with those amazing great sermons by those great people. Absolutely. Yep. Good. Uh, a yes. Concern, because yep. um, I'm very interested in building a healthy session as well. Um, and there's a training later today on helping a session 
go deep spiritually. Will there be any other offering time for that? Because this goes till five. I barely know what I'm doing. So I, I just seems like some I don't know. Yeah. I mean, oh, I'm sure. Would be helpful yep. for us. Um, so re-equipping. These things are recorded, so she could probably get. Yeah, they're all recorded. Oh, good. yeah. That's right. Yeah. Thank you. Perfect. Yeah. Or drop by and get the handout. <laughs> yeah. It was recorded. It was recorded. <laughs> Oops. Tech, tech said. Uh, I didn't break it. I didn't break it. <laughs> That's the first mic drop I've seen in a. <laughs> at, least the, at least the first one today. Oh. Feeling real hip hop in here right now. <laughs> okay, so this is what provides this provides clarity. This provides stability. Uh, the next improvement: um, empower the congregation to discover God's vision for its particular mission. Um, there's so much we can say about this. We're going to talk a lot more about this in in the. Uh, the process of the text. So I'll just let that, you, you kind of get that, right? The big picture. Uh, number six. One, one other question. Yes. You referred to something that Ken had written on this area, and he doesn't know what you're talking well, about. Well, you, you said clarity. You're talking about the 50 days, right? Yeah. 50 All days, 50 days. Yeah, yeah, 50 days of vitality. Mm -hmm. Yep. And we'll actually Where's talk. That? It's a, uh, just contact me and I'll send it to you digitally. Yep. Okay. Um, then clarity, stability, improvement. Um, again, discovering God's vision uh, for the particular mission God has for the church. Number six, discovering, naming, and addressing systemic dysfunction and sin that needs repentance. Now there's a mouthful. Okay. Um, people have asked me, well, what's the greatest need of a church in transition? And I say, the answer is easy, repentance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because if it doesn't start and end in repentance, mm -hmm. it's not a deep process. Mm -hmm. They can skate along the top of getting things done, but it's not a changing process. And until a, a church can own, well, first be able to identify, and then own its own systemic dysfunction and do serious repentance. The greatest gift maybe a transitional pastor can give to any church is leading them through a process of deep repentance. Mm -hmm. Understanding their own sin, understanding their own dysfunction, understanding their own dysfunction personally, understanding their dysfunction as a, um, as a church. But the most important of all is for a session to own its own dysfunction and to repent of ways in which they have and have not led the body of Christ. It's true for us all. But particularly in a church that's looking to get to the next thing as quickly as they can, You've got to slow it down. That real repentance takes root deep in their spirit, deep in their core, or a lasting change is hard to, to make. Um, number seven, diffusing any negative emotions of the congregation in transition so that the new pastor will not have to do so. Um, it's absorbing uh, the things that need to be absorbed, all the emotion, all the stuff that's out there, to kind of take that in. Um, and so the Transitional pastor can take on the hard issues and say the hard things because they're not staying. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. They have no stake in the long-term future of the church, or shouldn't. Um, and so they're able to say the things that they can say, say them in love, say them in grace, but say them. 
so that churches can face it, so that that real repentance, that deep spiritual breath can happen in their spirits and in the spirit of their church. And there's thousands of things we can say about that, and we'll talk about it a little bit more. So, whoops, uh-oh. <laughs> and the third is province. So, clarity, stability, improvement, and progress is what we see in the 10 steps. A clear understanding of mission and purpose allows the pastoral search team to discern the gifts and experiences for a pastor that best suits the congregation. If we know who we are, and if we know where we're going, and if we have a strategy to get there, and if we have a vision for the future, then we can look for the person who will help us take there. Take us there, right? Makes like perfect sense. Everybody in the room goes, yeah, but that's not what happens in most transitional, well, interim periods or, or transitional periods. So it's that sense of discernment that happens. Um, again, we've asked the question, how do you search for a pastor if you don't know who you are, where you're going, what you're doing, or even what impact you have in the community? It's just, it's called silly season, right? I mean, it's just the height of dumbness in the life of the church. Um, number nine, mature and stable leadership allows the pastoral search team for the time to be thorough um, and the time to do it right. Um, what happens most of the time I see in transitions is this. Here's my graphic uh, definition. So you have a church over here. You have Pastor Bill. Pastor Bill is really gifted in pastoral care and really loves people um, not so much in terms of administration or vision or whatever happens. And so they form the search team in the first 10 minutes, and the search team begins its work. And what do they say first? We need somebody who can do mission and vision and administration, right? And so the pendulum swings over to the guy who's Pastor Ken. Ken is really good in mission and vision, but it appears he doesn't give a rip about any of the people. He leaves and they say, you know, we don't feel very cared for. And so the, over years, this pendulum just swings wildly back and forth based on who was there before. What a horrible way to think about a pastoral search. But that's really, in my experience, what dictates the most of what search committees do. Just these big pendulum swings all over the place. And when you don't have any idea who you are or where you're going, that's what you're left to. You're left or whatever the search committee comes up with on a rainy day in May. Um, there's no sense of what this means. And so the idea of being quick and reactive is what most search teams are, rather than being slow and thoughtful. Now, what I say is if you do the upfront work uh, on the pastoral search team, you already have the work done who are we? Where are we going? What are we doing? You have that part of the process done, then it's relatively easy to develop a profile of who you believe God has called, the gifts, strengths, what you need for that person to help take you to the next level. So the search actually goes quicker if you do the work well. Um, rather than a group sitting around with 100 PIFs going, yeah, maybe, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, um, nah, yeah. Oh, he's from my hometown. That's a, that goes to the top of the pot. I mean, the basis on which they make decisions is insane. It just is. Um, and so, absent all of this, that's what happens. And then number 10, um, intentional preparation for the congregation to receive the new pastor well. Um, and um, based on the things that we've just talked about. Now, let me also say, this. I think this material is also relevant in a couple of other contexts. One is a new pastor 
comes to transition to a church. So when a new pastor comes, these are principles that they can use to begin. In the absence of, an inter, in a, in, of a transitional pastor, in the absence of that, these are things that a new pastor has to put in place when they come. And so it's a great tool for that. Or I've had a couple of situations where churches come to me and said, you know what, uh, we're not going to say we're unhealthy because no church ever says that, but we're stuck. Like, we're declining, we're not going anywhere, something different has to happen, or it's just a matter of who turns out the light last. So if a church can bring itself to a place to say, we need help, we need to start something new, then this material is particularly relevant uh, to that process. But let me also say, if you look at these 10 things, it's also the reason why we believe a transitional pastor should never be considered for the permanent position. Um, it's, this is not a tryout to be the new pastor, right? And if you are uh, a potential candidate for the position, you're probably not going to say exactly what needs to be said mm -hmm. because you're thinking, who's not going to like me? Or how's this going to affect this when I become the pastor? Um, and so uh, technically, we know in the Book of Order there is a process for this to happen. But in our presbytery, we're screaming at everybody, don't let the transitional pastor become the senior leader. Don't, because you're never going to do what needs to be done if you're holding on to some vestige of protecting yourself or protecting your future position. Um, so, um, now it doesn't mean in the universe there aren't situations where maybe that can happen, but it's got to be almost a mind-numbing set of circumstances. Um, so we want to say that right at the very beginning. Okay? Let's... Um, let me do a couple things, then we're going to uh, take a time to discuss and then a short break. So, um, what are some of the resistances to a transitional pastor? Uh, page sorry, 13, I hope. Maybe? Yes? Yes. Okay. Awesome. Okay. So, here's the things that we see as resistance to a transitional pastor. First is congregational pride. What does that sound like? Tell me what that might sound like to you. What's congregational pride sound like as you're, as you're the presbytery folks going in? We don't need this. We're doing well. We don't need any outside help. We've screwed this up perfectly well ourselves for 50 years. So, you know, we're, yeah. So we don't need any help. What else might they say? This is how we're known. Okay. This is how we're known. Right? Mm -hmm. What else? The fear of change. Okay. Whole fear of change thing. Yep. We'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. Okay, good. We're a great church. Yep. We're a really friendly church. Yeah. Well, you're friendly to each other. Just yeah. everybody else thinks yeah. you stink. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, we have visitors. <laughs> we have visitors? Okay. Well, or if we don't get a, a permanent pastor soon, it's going to make us look bad. Like nobody wants to come here. Okay. Well, we're, we know who we are. And we know what we're doing. We'll be fine just as soon as we get a new pastor. Okay? So that's what congregational pride sounds like. Okay? Let's look at congregational fear. What does that sound like? What's the primary fear? Change. Loss of control. Yeah. Change. Right? That's the fear. Okay? Uh, so what, what, what would congregational fear sound like? What are the things they most fear? It might take a really long time. It might take a long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What would that look like? Probably good, but okay. Okay, what else? You're going to change the service. You're, okay, somebody's going to come in and mess us up, mm -hmm. right? 
Yes. Somebody's going to come in and make all these wild changes for all these newfangled ideas like organs, um, you know, things like that, right? Or we're, we're like a, an airplane and we're going to crash if we don't get some new pastor quickly. Or there's all kinds of people pressuring us as the session to get a new person, okay? What, think of anything else? Just to see how bad we've been doing for the last five years that it's all exposed by this stranger. Somebody might come in and tell us how messed up we really kind of know we are but don't want to say out loud, right? For sure, yeah. Or we have staff people. What are, what are they going to do? <laughs> right? On, on and on it goes. So we, could, we can think about that. How about congregational distrust? What's that sound? <laughs> What's that sound like? We already tried this once. All right, we yeah. we've been through fifty years ago. We tried this, and it was a horrible experience. Or we do this like every two years, and it never goes well, right? Since nineteen eighty, <laughs> when we had a great pastor, we've just had. Since Pastor there. Bob was here, the good old days that we remember when eight thousand kids were in the youth group, seven thousand people were in the choir, right? Good old Bob days, right? Okay. What else? Presbytery's coming in. Yeah. Hmm. That's a shaky group. We've not really had good experiences with Presbytery, and they want to control us. And they don't know us. And they don't know us. Mm. And they don't know what they're doing. And they don't fill in the blank. Yeah. Right? Okay. Good. Um, yeah, so the sooner we can get a get a, uh, a real person, better off we're going to be, okay? Leadership trauma and PTSD. Let me talk about this for just a moment. Um, there's, there's a couple important questions to ask, I think, as a transitional pastor. Um, one is, how long has the previous pastor been there, and how long have they been gone? Like, what are the circumstances regarding the previous pastor? And we've come to find in our presbytery, a really important question is, how long ago did this congregation depart from the PCSA and join the EPC? What's that time frame? Because that time frame, I'm learning over uh, 10 years of doing this, is very important. Uh, it, it, it signals their ties to all kinds of things that are important to know. Could you unpack that a little bit? Sure. Um, so most of the churches who've come into the EPC um, have probably had disdain for the Peace USA for a long time. They withheld mission giving. They withheld whatever. They didn't participate in presbytery. They don't go to meetings because those people are nuts, right? And so we're doing everything we can to distance ourselves from who we are. That mentality then carries over into the EPC. Like, well, how do we know we trust these people? Like, our, our previous experience wasn't so hot. Um, how do we trust these people, Bob? Plus, there was also legal cost and financial, huge yeah. financial cost. They just paid a gazillion dollars to do what? Well, they're still paying for the. Of course, we we get we get all that, um, and so and and another question then is, well, um, did the departure cause a split in the congregation? Like, were sides formed over the? Uh, we find that all the time, and so there is. Um, this silent gnawing friction um, over all the things that happen, and that, that's the change, loss, grief, all the things we talked about before. And so what's the level of mistrust and animosity between the congregation and the EPC? What's the carryover? What are the impacts? What are the effects? Like, so 
So in our case, presbyteries come in and tell us, we have to have a transitional pastor, and here's going to be the process. We were already like, whoa, 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 whoa. Um, and so that has to be overcome. And then Bob uh, Hopper, uh, some of you may have known him, he was an EMT. And he compared churches in transition to people with PTSD. And here's how he did it. He said, people with PTSD have a couple of things that manifest itself really quickly. He said, the first is what he calls time dilation. He said, with people in shock, things speed up and slow down in all kinds of random ways. Um, so time isn't what it is. It's always faster or slower than what it appears for someone in shock. So the reaction of the church is that in a time of crisis, to speed things up when they need to slow things down. And then sometimes they push past things that, that go a little too fast. And so it's our encouragement to say, in a time when time dilation is a factor, slow down. Take a deep breath. Think carefully about what's next. Let's process this well so we can do what we've been called to do well. The second is what he called auditory exclusion. He said, we found out as EMTs, when you get there, people cannot hear what you're saying. Mm -hmm. If they're in crisis and they're in shock, they literally can't understand what you're saying. And so think of all the things we've talked about just so far, all the things these churches are experienced. It is hard to hear things clearly, um, especially when they don't want to hear them clearly. And so communication becomes difficult. Communication has to be slowed down, repeated over and over and over before the auditory exclusion can be overcome. The third thing, he says, is the loss of fine motor skills. The loss of fine motor skills. And it means churches panic because they've lost control. And so they lose fine motor skills, like how to talk to each other well, how to process things well, how to, how to communicate with a transitional pastor, how to communicate with anybody, basically, about church things. This, uh, this loss of fine motor skills means things that should be easy and natural become very difficult uh, for them to do. And so as a transitional pastor, you walk in and go, really, hey, we're not splitting the atom here, like we're trying to follow the Great Commission. But you might as well be speaking in Swahili, right? It's just that um, loss of relational skills um, and the panic that sets in. And then he says number four is tunnel vision. He said people in shock literally cannot see peripherally, which is a fascinating thing. All they can see is what's right in front of them and what they are determined to see. And what's a church in transition determined to see? The new pastor. That's all they can see. And so everything peripheral is out of their tunnel vision. It's out of their narrow little focus. Um, and so I thought that was a great illustration of, of life in the transitional church. Um, Tell you what, let's do. Let's let me, let's do. I want to do one other thing, and then we want to have a little time of wrap up and a short video that we have, and then Ken will join us. Um, this idea of pragmatism—that um, a church gets consumed by its own pragmatism—kind of just do what's practical, which means 
do what we've always done before in the way we've always done it. Um, in a transitional time, uh, we actually see churches do pretty much the opposite of that. If, if we're going to be what God has called us to be as transitional pastors, we want to have, call the congregation to be scripture-based, spirit-led, faith-filled, and principle-driven. Scripture-based, spirit-led, faith-filled, and principle-driven. Instead, they are mostly the opposite of all of those things, right? Scripture is, like, optional. Uh, they'll pull it out when it suits their needs. They tend to prefer to lead themselves rather than be spirit-led, which leads to the repentance issue that we talked about a long time ago. They need to be faith-filled. Instead, they're scared to death. Instead of trusting God for what's ahead, they're panicked that this isn't going to go well. And principle-driven, biblical, scriptural principles. But instead, they tend to make up their own principles and let that drive what they do. So it's on a continuum. Let me do this. The two big issues... In a transitional period, our focus and anxiety. And one precludes the other, <laughs> right? So, this is what we hope a transitional process looks like. I'm a great drawer, as you can tell. Your kids are artists, right? They are, yes. That's why they have a mother. That's why they have a mother. Yeah. What we want to see in a transitional period that is anxiety decreases, focus can increase. When the panic is resolved, hey, you know what? It's okay. Deep breath, everybody. God's got this. You may, it may be hard to believe that God is actually out ahead of this, but trust me, he's out ahead of this, right? And so as what you want is constantly working on two dimensions, decreasing anxiety Increasing focus. Take away the things that are fearful and bad while you're increasing focus on the things that are important uh, for you to move forward on.